0: Well, it's one of those weekends where we get to do something after the message together, all together at the same time, and that's to have communion together. Um, if you're like me and you, you're, you know, saying hi to everybody and you totally forget, it's okay. Forget the elements like the, 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 the bread and the wine. Just raise your hand high. Don't be embarrassed because I do it so many services. I just forget. So the hosts will come down and give you some communion because after the message, we're going to, uh, to commune together and... and uh, just receive what Jesus promises for us in that meal together. So this is the third week of our series, the close of our series, called Curious. And what we've been doing is acknowledging... That uh, God has given to all human beings this kind of innate, innate thing in us, this curiosity, this inquisitiveness, this just stays with us through our whole life. And we, we have questions, you know, and sometimes those questions lead to more questions, sometimes those questions get answered and we're joyful for it. Sometimes those questions get answered and we're sorry about it, or we're fearful about it, but God has put in us this thing called curiosity and in a time like this in 2020 I have to acknowledge to you that in my 54 years of life right almost 54 years in five days I'll be 54 but I've had my fair share of curious questions and it seems like this year I even asked God really why God I want to take the opportunity now for all of us to just say why God you know just go ahead just say why God And sometimes I hear him saying, nothing. (laughs) And sometimes a lot of things. But I've been curious about so much. And I don't know about you. If you were, let let me do this. Uh, I want to acknowledge. I don't know if we've done this collectively in the past month or whatever. I just want to acknowledge this. If you have been in this time of COVID working on the front lines if you've been on the front lines as a doctor or a nurse or ambulance person, or whatever you would call the front lines is, would you stand up for just a minute? Stand up. Don't be embarrassed. Stand up if you've been on the front lines. Thank you. <laughs> Stay standing because we're not done yet. It's a particip- participatory event here, okay? If you've been homeschooling, right, your kids at, at, at where? At home? right? If you've been a kid that's not been able to go to school, stand up. Thank you for the struggle and doing that. If you've been, if, if you've, I don't know, been impacted in any way by this COVID pandemic, would you stand up? That would be how many of us? All of us. Guess what? Who's with me in 11 days? We get to say goodbye. 2020, acknowledge 2021's coming. Thank you, Lord. You can be seated. I mean, wow. If you picked one word just to think about this whole year of 2020, what word would you use? What word would you use? Anxiety, disappointment, fear, frustration, weariness. I mean, you can add more words in there, right? Canceled, postponed. What, what, whatever it is. As I thought about this, because I had time to, right? <laughs> I thought the word we could uh, use for today would be uncertainty. Uncertainty. Hasn't COVID caused uncertainty? Disruption, absolutely. I mean, presidential elections gone by, right? In November, has that caused uncertainty among us? Some of us, all of us? I don't know. Our economy the jobs, whatever, just generally health for us and for our loved ones. Has that made you feel uncertain? I mean, if I had a dollar for every time I heard the word, these are unprecedented, uncertain times, I would be rich. By the way, did you stand up, Donna? I didn't see. Oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, and then so I've asked God, you know, I've, I've asked God, why God, in my curiosity, do you want me to be uncertain? In life do you want us, collectively, as a church, do you want to have us have uncertainty in our lives? in my quiet time, right? In the office doing a devotion, whatever it else? Two times I've been self-quarantined this, this year, maybe, I don't know, maybe more, at least two. And so I ask that question to God, and, and, and the answer I get back is, "Well, yes, Tony. And no, Tony. Oh, great God. <laughs> What's this all about? So I thought I would unpack that for us today. To talk about uncertainty. And the definition of uncertainty for my message today, let's just talk about this. It's the state of changeableness, unpredictability, or doubtfulness. It refers to feeling you don't know your future. Why? Due to a situation involving imperfect or unknown information. Doesn't that sum up how we have felt in 2020? Can I get an amen? We are not in control, are we? We don't know what's gonna happen today. A second from now, 24 hours from now, whatever, we just don't know. What does God's word tell us about uncertainty? Well, when I looked that up, I really could only find one passage in Scripture that used the English word at least, uncertain. And it comes from 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 17. Command those who are rich in this present world not to put their hope in wealth, which is so what? Uncertain, but to put their hope in God who richly provides us with everything for our Enjoyment. Trusting in money, hoping in that, does that bring certainty? Not really. Trusting in God, who's a solid foundation? Absolutely, because God is the exact opposite of uncertainty, isn't He? God is certain. I mean, he promises that. I, the the Lord, never change. I'm the same yesterday, today, and forever. God's word is certain. The promises that he has in his word for us are certain. They're not predictable. They're, they're They're not changeable. They're constant. And then God's promises for us, they're certain. Small sample of that as I was going through and preparing for this. Romans 8, 38 to 39, nothing can separate. Isn't that good news? Nothing. Is it good news? Yeah, nothing can separate us from the love of God that's found in Christ Jesus. That's certainty, folks. First, John 5, 13 says, when you believe in Jesus, guess what happens? When you believe in Jesus, you know that you have. You know means I'm certain. I know that I have eternal life. 2 Timothy three sixteen. every time we pick up this word of God, guess what we can be certain of? Certain of. It's all written by God. It's all breathed by Him. He used prophets and kings and all kinds of people to write His words down. But they're His words. We can be sure of that. First Peter 1 says these words are going to remain forever and ever and ever and ever. He is, Jesus, the Word of God. But then He makes a promise. Jeremiah 29, 11, You know this. It's a pretty common verse. But, but we can lean on it in these times that He does have plans for us, for our good, no matter the uncertainty in life, to give us a future, to give us a hope. You see, when we focus on these words and these promises of God, doesn't that make us feel the opposite of what 2020 makes us feel like? Doesn't it? Uncertainty, yeah, it makes us feel like we don't know our future because the situation's always evolving and it's imperfect and it's unknown. But certainty in the Lord, well, that gives us assurance that we know our future. Because we have perfectly known information. He did die. He did rise again. He will come back. Amen? Hebrews 11 says this about certainty then. Faith is being sure. True faith in Jesus is being sure of what we hope for and what? Certain. Of what we don't see. Of what is uncertain. And I love what Philippians 4, 6 says. That we don't or we aren't, shouldn't be anxious about anything, why? But in everything, we present our requests to God. And then the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, would guard our hearts and our minds in Christ Jesus. Certain promises of God that give us hope and assurance. For Christians, that's the solid foundation that we have certainty in the Lord. Yes, God gives us plenty in His Word to be certain about. But at the same time, at the same time, we still have this dreaded uncertainty that just kind of looms over us. Twenty twenty is not finished yet. In fact, as I was driving here, don't want to be the bearer of bad news. Good news is coming, and I don't know what it is, but I just heard on the radio that in Great Britain and England. There's a different strand now of the COVID virus. So they're giving out vaccines. Now, we don't know anything about it. Don't know if it's going to come to the U.S., whatever. But is life going to be uncertain in 2021? Yes. Right? Is God certain? Yes. You see, that's why my answer is like yes and no. You understand? But here's the thing. Isn't it God's choice whether he chooses to reveal details about anything? Isn't it his choice? I mean, he's the all-knowing creator. We're the not all-knowing creatures. And so when I get to these times when I have this curiosity in my brain, I like to lean on this scripture verse from Deuteronomy 29, 29. It says this: the secret things belong to the Lord our God, but the things revealed belong to us and to our children. That we would follow him in all the words of his law. The secret things belong to the Lord. What's that mean? It means if God would want us to know about something, he would have written it in his word. Instead, what he gives us is all the things we need to be certain that we need to know. Praise God he does that in his word. I mean, he tells his disciples clearly that life isn't going to be predictable. There isn't going to be certainty. In fact, there's going to be just the opposite, Jesus says. But in this life, I'm going to be with you. And the presence of Jesus and His spirit in us is going to bring certainty in whatever the uncertain situation there is. Amen. John 16:33 says this: "I have told you these things, these things about trouble and hardship and uncertainty, so that in me you may have peace or certainty or hope. In this world, you're going to have trouble, but take heart, what has He done? He's overcome. He's overcome the world. How? By dying on a cross and rising again from the dead. And all the promises that come with that are ours. You see, what's most important in this life is not to focus on the uncertain, the aspects that change, but to focus on what is certain. So in 2021, would you be along with me asking God, let's focus, God. Help me focus on what's certain, what's true in your word. Because you're my loving Heavenly Father. You choose to reveal this to me. And the rest, it's your call. It's your call. By focusing on these issues of faith and life, it's going to bring all those uncertain things, all those temporary things. COVID's going to go away. There's probably something else going to come, right? Who cares? We focus on what is certain. And then Jesus then tells us in his word, that is constant. He gives us life lessons, parables or stories. One that we're going to read about is a parable of the ten virgins or the ten bridesmaids um, in in Matthew 25. We're going to talk about that. But before that, I just want to talk a little bit about this overarching kind of thing in in 2020 or just in the world Since, since Jesus has gone and ascended into heaven. Before he did that, he gave us this overarching certainty that we can rely on. And what is it? he's going to return to earth one day that's his promise he is going to reappear on the last day think about this when, at jesus birth remember the angels announcing hey today in the town of david savior has been born guess what angels also did when he ascended into heaven they made an announcement too you know what it was found in Acts chapter 1, verses 10 to 11. The moment Jesus ascends into heaven, a cloud hides them from the disciples' sight. These words are said. They were looking intently up into the sky, and as he was going when suddenly two men dressed in white stood beside them. men of Galilee, why do you stand here looking into the sky? This same Jesus who has been taken from you into heaven will come back the same way you have seen him Go into heaven. That's the promise. That's the certainty that we have. In Matthew chapter 24, Jesus talks all about his return, his reappearance. But in verse 42, it says this. Therefore, keep watch, because you don't know on what day your Lord will come. That's the uncertainty. We don't know the day or the minute. I mean, he could come right now. And I, would you be ready? Would you be prepared? I mean, There's so much in the scriptures that talk about this overarching certainty that he's coming back. Revelation 19 describes it this way. The certainty of Jesus returning is like a wedding feast. It says, let's rejoice and be glad. Give him glory for the wedding of the Lamb. This is the last day he's talking about. Has come. His bride, that's us, has made herself ready. God tells us that this reunion, this last day, it's going to be a feast. It's going to be a wedding feast. And so the way we endure through the certainties in our life now, it's by focusing on these certainties, to be reminded. And that's what today brings, that we would be reminded from his word that he is coming again. How do we live in this tension of certainty and certainty? We look to his word. So before we get into Matthew 25, let me set the scene, okay? So it's a parable. It's a story of Jesus that communicates a spiritual truth. And so, in this, just the backstory, it's a typical Jewish wedding. And this Jewish wedding is not like uh, our American weddings. It's not a celebration for one night, it's like many nights. And it's not just a few hundred people invited, but it's like the whole village, which maybe could have been a few hundred people, but it's a whole town. Everyone is involved in this wedding feast, and it consists of three parts. The first part is the engagement. If you ever watched the Nativity story, I mean, it gives a really good example of that, that, that process. But the engagement is usually arranged by fathers of the bride and the groom. The fathers would come together and it would be essentially a contract. And then after that engagement, there's this betrothal period. It's a ceremony where, where the bride and groom come together and the, the closest family members and friends come together. At that point, they're considered married. They're they're truly married, so if you had to break that betrothal, it would be like getting a divorce. And so even if the husband dies during that time, that woman, even though the marriage wasn't physically consummated, would be known as, as a widow. And during this betrothal period then, which could last a few months, it could last up to a year, the husband gets a home ready. For them to be living or establishing himself in a business or a trade or farming or whatever that is at the end of that time then here's a wedding feast and it's a festival and everybody's involved and it involves torches and lamps because usually a procession comes at, at night time and and they're going through the streets celebrating for a week-long party and at that, that wedding feast, then, the, like a best man, the best friend of the groom would come, take the hand of, of the groom and put it in the hand of the bride, and they would uh, physically uh, be together and live in a new home. And that's, that's kind of the backdrop because there's so much in Scripture, both in the Old Testament and the New Testament, where, which describes us as being the bride of Christ. And who's the bridegroom? Jesus. We're betrothed to him now he's preparing a place for us in heaven the entire church of believers then would be gathered in a giant wedding celebration so that's the backstory. go to matthew chapter 25 if you didn't bring a bible we have some for you it's found on page 1540 at home if you're watching at home get your bibles out matthew chapter 25 i'm going to read the first 13 verses at that time, the kingdom of heaven will be like ten virgins or bridesmaids who took their lamps and went out to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were foolish and five were wise. The foolish ones took their lamps but did not take any oil with them. The wise, however, took oil and jars along with their lamps. The bridegroom was a long time in coming, and they all became drowsy and fell asleep. At midnight, the cry rang out, Here's the bridegroom, come out to meet him. Then all the bridesmaids woke up and trimmed their lamps. The foolish one said to the wise, Give us some of your oil. Our lamps are going out. No, they replied. There may not be enough for both of us and you. Instead, go to those who sell oil. Buy some for yourselves. But while they were on their way to buy the oil, the bridegroom arrived. The bridesmaids who were ready went in with him to the wedding banquet and the door was shut. Later the others also came, Sir, sir, they said, open the door for us. But he replied, I tell you the truth. I don't know you. Therefore keep watch because you do not know the day or the hour. Three points that I thought would help us kind of endure through these uncertainties of life, the focus on preparing for this day, this last day of heaven first one is this looks can be deceiving looks can be deceiving because really jesus here is opposing this question in the story who's really prepared for when he returns who's really prepared are you your family your friends people that you know can you tell if they're prepared well not really because looks can be deceiving all these bridesmaids they took their lamps they went out to meet the bridegroom they looked the same didn't they But it really doesn't matter how you look outwardly. I mean, you might seem like you have it all together in this life. And some people who aren't Christians, who don't follow Jesus, sometimes they even look better, right, than Christian people do. I mean, I was a missionary to Muslim friends, and sometimes those Muslim people acted better than me. And sometimes people who don't follow Jesus because God has put the moral law of God in all people's hearts, sometimes they do look better than Christians but what do we have that's different we'll get to that you have a personal relationship with Jesus see some of us who come in here you could be visibly hurting you could be truly physically emotionally mentally weak not all together yet you rely on Jesus daily you're in constant communication with Jesus in prayer and reading his word regularly but only God would know that what does our outward actually matter nothing Really, it doesn't. Because in this parable, these ten bridesmaids, what do they reflect? They, they, what do they symbolize? Is, is really the people who have received the wedding invitation. So the church, all the people know about the, the one that's coming. They know the wedding party's coming. They've been invited. They, they, they all look alike. There's nothing wrong with them getting tired and drowsy. We all do that, right? And waiting for Jesus to return. That's okay. But then when the, you know, the, the cry rings out, here comes the bridegroom. Looks are deceiving. Not everything was the same. What was different? Five were wise, five were unwise. Five were ready, five weren't. You see, Jesus' point today, uh, Jesus' point to tell the story applies for us today. This is no different in the church today. Normal life goes on, doesn't it? We wait. For Jesus to come things are the same right we get up we go to work we work from home we hear the news check social media how many beds are in the hospital right that's COVID is it surgery is it not surging and numbers go up vaccines you keep track of all those I'm sure uncertainties they loom all around us don't they and life just keeps on rolling on and rolling on doesn't it as we wait for this bridegroom but only God knows only God knows who truly is ready and prepared. Because looks can be deceiving. God knows the heart. He knows who has true faith. And only God's, and only if God sees it is what matters, right? Not anybody else, really. Five had saving faith. Five were lost. So let me ask you, do you believe? Are you baptized? Because faith is required to get to heaven to this wedding feast that Jesus is describing so if you are curious about it if you have doubts about it if you're fearful about it guess what you can do you can always contact us pastors feel free to email me I'd love to talk to you about it right now if you're watching online go ahead and click the prayer button somebody would be happy to pray with you and talk to you about issues of faith in life right now Second point is this. Looks can be deceiving, but secondly, it's a personal thing. It truly is a personal thing because each of the bridesmaids had their own torch and lamp, but what is it what is it that the five foolish, they didn't have, but the five did? What was that? Did you catch it? What was it? Yeah, it was oil. And oil is a symbol of the Holy Spirit. Oil meant you had the presence of God in you. You had true faith. And so we're reminded of this in Romans chapter 8, verse 9. It says, if anyone does not have the spirit of Christ, he does not belong to Christ. Jesus teaches this is how the kingdom of heaven is going to be when he reappears at the end of time. You need your own faith. You need your own oil. Five had the oil. They had the spirit of God. Five didn't. The ones that didn't, they said, hey, give us some. But Jesus is speaking out the truth here. That's not possible. I can't give the oil of God's spirit to my children or give faith to any of you. I can't be baptized for you. Hanging around lots of good Christians doesn't make you a Christian any more than parking yourself in a garage makes you a car. You see, you won't be able to stand before God at the door of eternity and say, my parents were Christians or my wife is a Christian, or my husband is a Christian. Without this personal possession of the Holy Spirit, we can't enjoy the wedding banquet. No oil, no salvation. Again, if you're unsure of that, call me online. Contact those prayer partners. That's what they're there for. It's a personal thing. Look can be deceiving. It's a personal thing. The third one, there is such a thing as too late. That's the truth that Jesus is saying. There is such a thing as too late because not all are going to be allowed into that wedding feast. The unwise bridesmaids, they're judged pretty severely. The bridegroom says, I don't know you. No spirit, no faith. Once you get to the door of heaven and you don't have faith, guess what? The door's shut and it's permanent and it can't be opened. There's no last-minute, second chances but for those who do have that oil, for those who are ready, the door to heaven, I mean, that's great news. It's good. Even though sometimes uh, as a Christian I appear like I'm not, I've failed, I have the spirit to say, I'm sorry, God, please forgive me. And guess what he does? He forgives me. I can say Jesus Christ is Lord, which means I have the spirit. But for those who don't, it's going to be a day of dread and gloom. But Jesus says, God's word says, that he wants everybody to know the truth. He wants all people to be saved. He wants all to come to know that we need a Savior. And if I say I have a Savior, it means something about me. It means I need to be saved that I'm a sinner. And he wants to give us that certainty so we pick up God's word and we read that every day. That's the good news you're going to get. And for us who follow Jesus, I want to remind you of this point. It's found in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. It's good news for all of us. For you yourselves are fully aware that that day of the Lord, that means his second coming, will come like a thief in the night. While people are saying, there's a cure for COVID. No, wait. Wait. There is peace and security. Then sudden destruction will come upon them as labor pains come upon a pregnant woman, and they will not escape. But you, you brothers and sisters, are not in darkness. For that day to surprise you, it won't like a thief. For you are children of the light, children of the day. And here's the good news, for God has not destined us for wrath. He doesn't want that for anybody. But to obtain salvation through our Lord, through our Lord Jesus Christ. He is the only way, the truth, and the life, who died and rose again and will come again. Amen? As followers of Him, we have that certainty, we have that security. Who in your life doesn't have that? And how can you explain that story to them at Christmas time? Jesus wanted everybody to have that certainty. It was about 50 years ago to the day almost, to the month anyway, 50 years ago, there was a group of people who lived in grave uncertainty. Maybe you've heard this story, maybe you haven't, but our, our U.S. government determined during the Vietnam War that there were 65 POWs living in this uh, notorious Sun tai prison. 65 prisoners who Every day they were underfed, they were brutalized, propaganda was being thrown at them that they had been abandoned and nobody cares for them. But they were on the hearts and minds of their brothers in arms. There was a mission called Operation Ivory Coast. Have you ever heard of it? It happened on November 21, 1970. It was one of the most dangerous and revered rescue missions of the Vietnam War, and it was actually one of the first military operations conducted by the joints, the, the joint chiefs of staff. And the U.S. intelligence determined that there was about 12,000 North Vietnamese troops living, uh, li- just being around this, this camp. It was one of the most heavily defended areas in North Vietnam. And our soldiers said, we're going to make an attack and have a rescue mission. And so they had... Fighters, gunships, helicopters flying over hundreds of miles, you know, low on the tree line. They get to this camp. There's a battle that happens. It's pretty fierce. And they get to the camp and they find that nobody's there. The prisoners had been moved. I mean, you, think, you would think that, that that mission was a failure, that it wasn't successful. Yet here's what happened. True stories. I, I saw this online. POWs, when they learned that there was an attempt to be rescued, guess what happened? Their hope soared. They're like, somebody cares for us. They're going to be back. I know it. Guess what happened? Because even that rescue attempt that failed, they were kind of transported to a different camp that was actually better for their conditions. See, they knew somebody cared. They knew somebody would come back. Isn't that what the Bible does? Reminds us, if we're struggling with with the uncertainty of what has happening in our lives, just like those prisoners who were not rescued that day, who still live in uncertainty, just like us, they knew their brothers in arms would come again, and we know our brother will come again. Amen? You see, if we're tempted to believe that God has somehow abandoned us, then we need to look to the Scriptures. And know that there is one that's even braver than the special forces that tried to rescue the, the prisoners there. Our hope is in a Savior. Is not a Savior who was born in a manger. Who lived a perfect life for us. Who suffered and died on a cross for all our sins. Who rose again for our salvation. And who promises it's going to come back to life. I saw this, this uh uh, quote, I'll read it, but as you look at the, the this picture, think about this, okay? God promised he would send a savior. He did. God promised that Messiah, that savior, would suffer and die for us. He did. God promised that Jesus would rise again and he did. God promises that Jesus will come again and He He will. That's the certainty that we have, that we have a place in that wedding banquet because we're ready, we're prepared. We have the oil of the Holy Spirit to say, forgive my sins. Help me look to the cross. Help us fix our our eyes on Jesus who is the author and perfecter of our faith. Amen? When you feel that anxiousness rising, when you're discouraged, open up the Bible. This gospel writer, his name was Luke, did the biography on Jesus. I think he knew how much we yearn for certainty because he wrote this in the opening words of Luke 1. He said, Many have undertaken to draw up an account of the things that have been fulfilled among us. With this in mind, since I myself have carefully investigated everything from the beginning, I too decided to write an orderly account for you. Why? so that you may know the certainty of the things you have been taught. I envision, in my mind anyway, that Luke, he's this physician, you know, by profession. He's not a Jew. He's making this investigation, right? He's going back to the fields of Bethlehem. Where where were those shepherds on that night that Jesus is born? Where were they? What what exactly? Can you tell me what what exactly did that angel say? Luke chapter 2, today. In the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is Christ the Lord. This will be a sign. Why? To give you certainty, to know that this is true, it's really happening. You'll find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. This is how much God loves us, that he would send himself to this earth filled with all kinds of disease and sin and yuck to experience all of that for us and yet to do it perfectly obey all of God's commands Jesus did so that we would have certainty he is the perfect sacrifice he is the perfect savior amen I think about this too I think Jesus as he tells his disciples Yeah, there are going to be uncertain times. In fact, every one of you, 12 disciples except John, right? All of you are going to actually die because of your faith. But when you gather, I'm going to give you a promise that is so certain. He says when you share this meal together, the promise is you're going to have your sins forgiven. You're going to remember me. And what I did for you. You're going to be filled with that forgiveness and that life. And when there's forgiveness of sins, there's also eternal life and salvation, God says. And so on the night when, before we even, I say the words of institution, let's do this. Would you bow your heads? Would you just think about this in this year of 2020, right? Right? Would you, would you think about all the times where you felt uncertain and you had that fear, you had that anxiousness, and then you thought something just wrong about who God is or who your neighbor is, you said something or did something, anything this week that you are sorry for, this is the time now to say, God, I thank you, your spirit's in me, I'm sorry. Bible says that if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. The truth isn't in us. But if we confess those sins, He who is faithful and just will forgive. So I can stand before you in confidence, as you made that confession to Jesus. Your sins are forgiven. In the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit, all God's people say. Our Lord Jesus Christ, on the night when He was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Take and eat, this is my body, which is given for you, this do in remembrance of me. In the same way, also after supper, he took the cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink of it, all of you, this is my blood of the new covenant, which is shed for you for the forgiveness of sins. Brothers and sisters, take and eat the body of Christ, given unto death for your sins. take and drink the blood of Jesus shed on the cross for your sins and now know with certainty that you have eternal life that your sins are forgiven and that you can go in these next four days be prepared to celebrate his birth amen